Well, salutations, spooky friends, uh, my my freaky friends, my creepy compatriots. Mm, I like that one. Yeah, yeah. My my terrifying tots. Um, that one didn't work as well. Oh, you know, it does if I'm <laughs> speaking specifically to young children. Okay. Um, which You're hopefully on this podcast on Carrie. Yeah, yeah, which hopefully on this episode I don't because um hi everybody, we're in horror fest still. <laughs> um, <laughs> um this this episode may not be for children. Our stuff's usually for children. We love the kids, but uh probably not this one. Because for Horror Fest 2021, we are talking about not just spooky films, we are talking about the horror movies that have influenced the genre, influenced pop culture, and have left their impact on how we get scared um, nowadays. Um, With me today, my constant companion through this Horror Fest journey this year, um, and last year as well, is um, the wise sage, um, Josh. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing real well. Doing really good. Ready to talk about this... uh... This uh, interesting horror comedy we've got going on here. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, a comedy, if you will. Yes, uh, as some people, some people say. But um, yeah, everybody, uh, we are nearing the end of Horror Fest. Unfortunately, all good things must end. Um, so uh, we are heading towards the end of Horror Fest as we fastly approach Samhain itself. Um, but we've done a whole slew of podcasts about horror films um all all different kinds um and we got some videos on fandom correspondence youtube channel as well be sure to check those out and uh throughout the rest of the year we're going to be doing a lot of stuff we are ending 2021 strong and just going to charge into 2022 as well Um, so be sure to stay plugged into what we're doing but tonight let's get down to business um to defeat these Huns, and uh, as Josh has has alluded to, we're talking about Carrie. We're talking about um, 1976 film adaptation of the Stephen King horror book, Carrie. This was the first adaptation of Stephen King's work into film. Um, it was also um, his first published book as well um, as a horror author. Um, and the reason why I chose this one, um, for 2021's Horror Fest is that, I mean, when you talk about horror in the latter half of the 20th century into the 21st century, um, it is hard to talk about horror without talking about Stephen King. Um, Stephen King has written and created and adapted some of the most well-known horror stories uh, we've had over the last 50 years. Um, so I thought um, it'd be um, it'd be remiss of us to not include at least one episode um, t- t- dedicated to a S- Stephen King creation. And why not start at the very beginning uh, with King's b- b- bibliography and filmography? Um, so Carrie, as I said, this is a 1976 version. Um, often hailed as uh, the most accurate adaptation of the book. Uh, the book came out a couple years earlier in 1974. Um, 
Um, this film is directed by Brian De Palma. And I just want to open things up real quick because it's hard to talk about this film without talking about where it came from. Um, Josh, share with the class, if you will, um, your own thoughts, opinions, feelings, uh, passions, attractions, spiritualities, um, how you feel about um, about the man himself, about Stephen King. Um, what's kind of your experience with him? What's your opinion of the imprint he's made on horror? Yeah, I mean, well, Stephen King's kind of the kind of the name in horror. I mean, it's really kind of uh, it's hard to really look at what horror is within the within the. <laughs> I don't want to use too much of a hipster word, but the only way I can think of it, within the public zeitgeist without Stephen King, because he's he's either directly influenced or just being adapted pretty much on a almost yearly basis, sometimes two or three times in a year. I mean, you just look at things that have come out that have been extremely popular. Um, you know, the last, you know, the last adaptation of it, both chapter one and chapter two were runaway successes. You know, the pet cemetery reboot was a runaway success. And the interesting thing about both of those is they had movies before, uh, that were that were runaway successes in their own right in the late 80s and early 90s. Mm. So literally you have a person who has dominated the horror genre for the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and now into the 2020s. He's still going strong, and uh, people still look to him as the the ultimate horror guy. Um, so, you know, I, it's it, my, my own personal experience with, it, as far as reading, the only, the only thing I've ever read about him was the shining, because I think I, we, I think we talked about that last, last year, the shining is probably, uh, one of my, if not my favorite horror films. And I really kind of, and I'd always heard there was vast differences in the mm. book and in the movie. And I, and I'll probably make some, uh, Stephen King fans mad in that. I think the shining is an improvement on the book. Uh, but, but, you know, even so, um, you cannot deny his, you know, his just overarching influence on everything. Um, and there's so many, there's so many moments in horror, uh, whether it's, you know, the, <laughs> the setting of the ankles and misery or, you know, the, the evil little toddler in pet cemetery, you know, or even the just iconography of, Carrie standing on a stage covered in pig's blood. These are all things that are directly from him. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just really difficult to even kind of talk about horror without having him almost in the conversation, even if he's not in the conversation, because just about every horror movie or every horror scenario that you can think of, uh, Stephen King has done it before. Um, so, you know, I mean, whatever you want to say about him, you know, whether he, you know, phones in some of his books or whatever, you know, he's, he's, he's the most influential horror author ever. And it's really not even close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to argue um, with a man who's, <laughs> who's going into his, his fifth decade um, <laughs> of being the best selling horror author. Um, you don't see you don't see a whole lot of authors um, have that kind of um, consistency, um, both in their work and in their success. So um, yeah, it's hard to argue against that. Um, 
a lot of what Stephen King has done um, uh, has a very special place in my um, in my heart. Um, if I'm being honest, um, I've talked about it before. Um, the main reason I'm into horror in general uh, is because it's something I inherited from my mom. Um, I watched um, I watched horror films with my mom for years when I was growing up. Um, I think back and I watched um, the first um, Child's Play when I was like three years old with my mom um, just hanging out. Um, and she's a huge horror fan and her love of horror definitely started when she was in high school, when she first picked up a couple books, um, by Stephen King. Um, and so he has been a constant, uh, presence in her, in her enjoyment of horror. And that has um, transferred to me as well. Some of the first fiction books I read were a lot of, uh, the ones by Stephen King that she had on hand. Um, but, um, so, uh, he definitely has a, a special place in my, place in my heart as a horror fan, um, for sure. This last year, my wife and I, we took a trip up to Maine. Um, this wasn't, this wasn't the only reason why we went, but while we were up there, uh, we did take a pilgrimage to drive past, um, Stephen King's house in Maine. And, um, it's, it's just as spooky a house as you would expect. To be to be inhabited by the master of horror, uh, but that was really cool to see uh, the area where a lot of his tales were inspired. Um, but uh, we come now to the horror film uh, of the night. Uh, we come to Carrie again, Stephen King's first book, Stephen King's first adaptation. To give you just one more um, taste of how influential and how massive um, Stephen King's works have been in horror. Um, Carrie is the first of over 120 adaptations uh, that Stephen King's um, um, books and short stories have had. Um, that's a lot of adaptations. Um, and, and it all starts um, here with Carrie. Um, now, there is some contention with Carrie. There's some contention on a couple things uh, with Carrie. Um, there's some opinions on how accurate an adaptation it really is. There's some debate on how well it's aged, which is um, an argument or a criticism you see pop up with a lot of Stephen King's stuff. Um, the man himself has walked back um, some of the uh, some of the things he's written um, over the years. Um, but the one I want to talk about today is that there have been some critics um, over the last 10 years or so who have taken a, a little bit more of a critical approach to Carrie um, and have questioned really, um, and Josh, you've actually kind of hinted at this. You talked to me a little bit about this earlier today before we recorded. Uh, there are some critics who have really questioned um, if Carrie should be considered a horror story um, or a horror film. Um, they kind of question if that's really the execution um, that's being done here with this script. Um, so I'll just uh, toss that contentious um, question over to you, Josh. Uh, do you think um, Carrie is a horror film? Do you consider it to be within the horror genre? Um, if not, um, then why? Um, and if so, then where do you think that horror is really... Um, it's really coming from. 
from this film? Um, I do not consider Carrie a horror movie. Um, I don't think even by the definition that you gave us last year, Carrie is a horror movie. Um, but it puts it in a weird spot because Carrie's, like I said, the, the, the Carrie, the icon is a horror icon. It just is, you know, and, and the visuals of Carrie standing on that stage where everything burns around her, uh, is something that, you know, is, is up there. If any of the horror movies you could possibly think of, um, so, so this put, put us in a weird spot, but here's the thing. Okay. Like I have Piper Laurie who is, you know, Mrs. White in this movie mm-hmm. and Amy Irving, uh, on my side on this because both of them thought that this movie was a comedy. Um, Piper Laurie is, is on record having stated that her acting is so over the top because she thought he was playing a comedic role. Um, and when you watch it with that in mind, you know, because Piper Laurie, if you don't know much about Piper Laurie, Piper Laurie had, was, had basically retired when this movie came out. She was a character actress uh, in the 50s and 60s, but very restrained kind of roles. You know, I mean, as stuff was in the 50s and 60s, it was very much, you know, quiet noir kind of stuff where, you know, the acting's kind of stilted and that kind of thing. This movie, you know, I mean, she is just... She's like all over the dark place and, and yeah, and she's playing it so over the top um, that it is just really hard to take a lot of it seriously um, in a movie, in a movie that's really like, you know, we should be taking a lot of the abuse seriously that Carrie's taking. And I think, you know, a lot of the movies, I think a lot of the, the remakes that have come out in 2002 and I can't remember which one, which year the Chloe Grace Madison came out, but like they take the abuse more seriously. Uh, I think than this movie does because of how crazy the acting is in this movie and how just out of left field, horrible everyone is. I mean, this movie sets a stage like, just like, you know, I mean, I've like, I've been playing pickup basketball my entire life. Okay. Um, there's been many times where I have just like, you know, just, just crapped, uh, the bed on the basketball court several times. Okay. And I've never, ever had anyone react to me the way that they react to Carrie missing the volleyball. And what I have to assume has like they can't have any like bearing on anything in their school like none of them are volleyball players and yet like when they're walking in like they're slapping her and like that you know i think it's chris <laughs> just walks up and she's like you know I, I don't even swear on this place but like you say like you have to state this one of the girls just gets in her face and just goes eat shit just like that okay and like it's so out of left field like it's hard to take it seriously it's it, it's like you know, it, it's like a, it's like stuff like that's almost like a scary movie adaptation. And even later on, you know, when like, when, you know, uh, when Carrie has burned down the gym, you know, and so, you know, in her hatred, you know, uh, the, the meanest girl is going to run over her, you know, just like stone cold, cold blood. Like, how is she going to get away with it? How is she going to explain any of this? Okay, like she's going to run her down, you know, while she while Carrie has her back turned. I mean, that's how evil this character supposedly is. 
the the fact that they go out of their way to paint a lot of these characters as evil as they are, um, and the fact that so many of them are just like quirky evil, like you know, like the one the girl that always has the hat on, even at prom, like that's just like a weird thing to me, you know, and like he's just like horrible, and like you know, John Travolta in this you know thing, you know, slaps his girlfriend like five times in this movie, like in this movie. It's like, it's just so great. Like they're just so evil that a lot of times it's hard to take a lot of it seriously. Um, and so like, you know, like with a little tweaking, like Carrie and Mean Girls are kind of in the same vein in mm. a lot of ways. Um, but where, what, you know, but since it's Brian De Palma, you know, and he deserves his own discussion, I guess. But since it's Brian De Palma, you know, He's known for straddling those lines, you know. I mean, Brian De Palma, same guy that you know has, you know, gives you a mostly serious, you know, movie about Scarface, you know, and then at the end has Scarface go down off a grenade launcher in his hand. So, like, you know, that's kind of his thing. And within this movie, you can see it. You know, I think he likes to to play with those ideas of like putting you in one mode and then turning you, you know, one other way, you know, because like, you know, in the same instance you have, obviously the most blatant example of that is of course the, the prom scene, you know, um, but like, uh, in the but like another blatant example of that is, you know, if in the same instance where you have like this ridiculous moment, you know, where, uh, you know, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. White is praying for her daughter because she's become a woman. It's just like, it's, it's pretty, it's kind of funny in a lot of ways. Cause I mean, I guess she's, I don't know what Bible she's quoting out of. I mean, I looked them up. She's misquoting scripture all the way through. I guess missing them, like taking out words and everything and just like getting the wrong ones. Like Genesis 316 says nothing about Cain, for example. So like you have all these, like, like these things that like, you know, if you're in on the joke, they're funny, but also then like it just turns on its head and you've got this like horrific scene where she's dragging Carrie across the floor into the closet. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of Brian De Palma kind of playing with this idea of like comedy and horror because he's trying to keep you off balance. Mm. Um, you know, he doesn't really, he, he doesn't really want you to feel comfortable if anything. Um, so, you know, it, 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 uh, that's kind of his, that's kind of his MO. Um, and Carrie's probably the movie that it works the best in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you bring, you bring up some good points. Um, for anybody um, who's um, kind of scratching their head um, at the director, um, here's a quick little short list of other things that Hip Palma's done because I had a similar thing. I watched it earlier today. I saw the credits roll, and I just had the thing of just like, oh, man, that, that name, what else did he do? It's one of the greatest IMDb pages in history. It is. It is. Um, a short list of some of the things he's done. He did Carrie. He did Scarface. He did The Untouchables. He did Mission Impossible. Um, he also did um, some other things um, like Phantom of the Paradise. He did Carlito's Way. Um, if anyone is a big Sean Penn fan, um, he did Carlito's Way. Um all kinds of it's a very weird filmography to explore. Um, I'm not sure how how I would feel doing a marathon. I mean, he did the first Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he did yeah. the first Mission Impossible. 
And and the Dancing in the Dark video by Bruce Springsteen. The Courtney Cox dancing video. Oh, so. my God. Well, I mean, I mean, that's his highest tier production for sure. Exactly. <laughs> dancing yeah. in the Dark. Um, but, um, no, um, as far as Carrie goes, though, um, it's, it is a weird one. Because you do have so many scenes, you have so many performances that are over the top. Um, I'm glad you brought up John Travolta because um, <laughs> John Travolta is a treasure. Um, I, <laughs> I kind of love me some John Travolta because I love how over the top he is a lot of the time um, and how animated he can be in his roles. Um, every time he was on screen, um, I I wanted to ask I wanted to like slip back in time and ask Brian De Palma what he told John Travolta to do every time he was on scene <laughs> because he just gives one of the most just one of the wildest over the top performances I've ever seen but um, um, it's an interesting one this version of Carrie um, is a testament to what one or two scenes in a film, especially in horror films, can do for the lasting impression people have about the film. Um, Carrie, um, for anyone who's interested in in film lists and accolades and things like that, um, in 2008, Carrie was ranked 86th on Empire's list of 500 greatest films of all time. Um, 86. I would imagine that's above a lot of really good films. Um, <laughs> it's constantly put on this as some of the of as one of the greatest horror films ever made, one of the most um, terrifying and scariest films ever made. Um, it constantly shows up on this list, and I think a lot of that has to do with just how strong the imagery of a couple of these scenes are. You know, you brought up the scene where um, she's dragged by her hair, by her mom, into a closet to be thrown into and, and, and pray um, for hours. Um, I mean, bring up, um, obviously, the iconic scene where she's doused in pig's blood in prom, and then all of the chaos and the fire and, and everything that follows afterwards. And... It's really interesting that the reputation of this film, despite a majority of it being kind of kind of all over the place with tone, despite a majority of it being marked by wild over-the-top performances, that the reputation of the film um, is so steeped in those few scenes. Um, and it's interesting when that happens, because... It's almost a statement of how powerful an emotion of, of fear is and how effective those kinds of horrific scenes and depictions can be, that they are the main things that stick with people and they are the main elements within a film that really establish and color what the film is. But um, it's an interesting case. Because you also have the context of it being um, a honest, even King book. So you also have the tension there of saying, well, I don't really 
feel that kind of horror atmosphere, horror intention that you usually get from these types of films. But at the same time, it's written by one of the masters of horror. So, so, so it's definitely an interesting situation with Carrie. Um, I think it's one that is is very t- different to watch now, today, um, in comparison to when it was made, as well. But um, it's a it's a tough one for sure. Um, it's a tough one for sure. Now, um, however, I'm glad you brought up on the character of Carrie's mom of. This is white, because that leads me um, right into um, our next point, which is um, considering the fact that we've talked a lot this year in Horror Fest about hope, about faith, about the depiction and subtext of religious themes and horror movies and what different creators and directors have done with them. Uh, that wasn't exactly an intention I had with this year, but it's um, just kind of organically come up just from the films we've talked about. Um, so um, I'd like to ask you, and again, particularly interested to hear your take on it, considering um, your background in, in theology and the Bible and as a pastor and all of those things that help give context to how you um how you perceive and how you understand these kinds of themes. Um, what do you think, Josh, um, that King and the director are trying to say about hope and faith and the effects of religion upon people? What do you think they're trying to say about those themes uh, with Carrie? Yeah, you know, with with King. King's interesting because King is, uh, I mean, last I'd heard, he's, he's basically considered himself agnostic. Um, but King likes to play, uh, in the, in the Christianese playground quite a bit. Um, Mm. and like, I mean, particularly like with something like the stand, you know, I mean, the stand is, is, is a, is a Armageddon antichrist, you know, type story. That's what it is. Um, and, you know, and of course the stand, you know, holds up as his, his best depiction of good versus evil. And it, it says something about King that his depiction of good versus evil is based a lot around Christian tropes and Christian ideas and Christian, um, uh, a, a Christian scenario essentially. And so with Carrie though, since being an early, an early book, I don't think he's really his his concepts of like religion, in my opinion, have not matured. And so there's a lot of about Carrie that once again goes that comedy thing where, yeah, I think he's straight up making fun of of religion and Mm. and and particularly uh, Christianity. And the reason I say that once again is because this is not a type of Christianity. You you guys got to understand. okay? like I have I'm 36 years old at this point. I've spent more than half my life. Um, you know, almost, I mean, 20 years now, uh, within some type of Christian leadership realm. Okay. I have never run across a sect of Christianity that is anything like what Mrs. White is, has in Carrie, because like, you've got, you've got like, once again, the icons are all over the place. You've got Catholic icons, you've got, uh, Baptist, uh, stylistic, uh, kind of things. 
you have what would be very charismatic in his in her beliefs. And then for all, all <laughs> on top of all that, you look at the closet and she's got a uh, a uh, a statue of Saint Sebastian, which is just completely out of nowhere and doesn't have anything to do with, you know, w- w- which would not be anything that a Catholic Baptist or Pentecostal would be dealing with. So like you've got, you, you have, you have all over the place um, is where her, her religion is, is where her religion is at. And I think in a lot of ways, there's, there's a sense that, um, you know, one of the things that King is saying is that religion is hurtful to someone like Carrie in her situation, um, you know, and that religion is holding her back in a lot of ways. And, and that, and, and I mean, that's, that's both figuratively and, you know, literally in this movie. Um, so, you know, King, I, you know, King, like I said, it's being early, you know, that I, I do think there's a sense where he's just straight up making fun and, and, you know, and I mean that, you know, you know, there's there's a lot within the Christian world um, to to you know make fun of, and and there there are strains of of uh, of Christianity that you know <laughs> that I would say that that Mrs. White is a extremely overblown, um, like extremely just like as far out possible of that form as you can think of. Um, because that's what's happening here. It's it's all it, it's almost in the realm of satire, in a lot of ways, uh, is what is what King is doing. And then with De Palma, you know, De Palma is a whole different. Uh, I mean, De Palma is you know a, a postmodern director. You know, I mean, it's a whole different view. So uh, De Palma definitely would paint. Um, you know, the, not only yeah, obviously Mrs. White's religion in a in a bad light, but He's definitely making statements, you know, about um, how how religion can be destructive, um, because I mean, De Palma takes the you know gives us a scene that really isn't necessary to the movie, except to just show, you know, how how intrusive Mrs. White and her um, and her religion is, you know, where Mrs. White shows up uh, at a, at Sue's mother's house, you know, and is just like, you know, trying to preach to her. And that scene only serves just to be like, well, here's 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 where the trouble is really coming from, you know, um, because because of all that, you know, I mean, really, the breaking point of Carrie uh, comes from Mrs. White. It, I mean, yeah, it does come from obviously Pig's Blood and everything like that. But, you know, the palm, <laughs> the palm is nails over the head with it because the first thing that happens, you know, when that pig blood hits her and she starts to have her mental break, the first thing she hears is Miss White saying they're all going to laugh at you. And, you know, that's that's telling for me. And so um, I think there is a sense where, you know, if, if we're going to talk about the religion of this of this movie, I, I mean, yeah, there's it's 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 obviously a theme. Um, but the palm is definitely on the on the fence of religion's definitely something to to worry about. And and it probably needs to stay in the home where it belongs. I think that's where De Palma would be at on this. Um, you know, and, uh, and I, I, you know, that's, and I, I think, I think King King at this point in his life would definitely, would definitely agree with that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a treatment 
of religion in a horror film that's um, a lot more on the nose than a lot of other horror films um, have attempted to be. Um, you, you know, you have a lot of very nuanced um, kind of depictions of what hope and faith can bring to um, to horror, to individual um, growth and struggle, things like that. We've already talked about The Exorcist. We've talked about The Conjuring, two very d- different but inspired approaches um, as to what a religion can mean in the horror context. <laughs> this is definitely um, a film that kind of takes it um, and just kind of says, you know, uh, well, no, it's it's bad. It's a problem. Like that, <laughs> you know, there isn't um, a whole lot of s- subtext there to really be gleaned from as far as um, how it's portrayed in it. Um, as a as a little bit of trivia here, um, um, because we are some some trivia boys on occasion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For a little bit of trivia, um, you bring up how there's. A lot of interesting iconography and different texts and different um, decorations from different religious trends. Um, when they were decorating the set, um, they literally went to a what De Palma describes as a religious Christian souvenir store. Um, beforehand and just bought as much random stuff to give the idea that (laughs) the house was vaguely spiritual of some kind to just kind of throw on the walls and have everywhere. Um, So that that probably has something to do with it um, as far as where a lot of that stuff came from um, (laughs) in a background sense. But um, I mean, that's interesting. I think, and it's been years since I've seen um, either of the remakes. So I can't talk in any detail about um, how those films kind of portray it. But it's almost a shame because I think uh, religious abuse and, and you know, parental abuse in the context of trying to inspire faith and religious devotion of some kind. I think that's very real. It's a very real thing in the world, um, uh, especially in um, in some areas um, of Christianity than in others, um, as well as other uh, types of religions entirely. But um, it's almost a shame to have the treatment and the depiction of it and carry be so on the nose, be portrayed by such an over-the-top um, kind of misconstrued acting job um, that um, was given on set, because I think it is something that's worth talking about and worth exploring, uh, because we talk about it a little bit in The Exorcist, where so often religious faith right uh religious experience is so often a form of support and comfort for a lot of people that it's really interesting when films try to take that away 
and kind of have the converse of it in their stories where instead it's it's flipped to be um some kind of horror in its own way whether it be um a lack of religious comfort whether it be um abuse in a religious context whatever it might be that can be a really effective way of inciting horror but it can also be a really interesting way to talk about um something that so often is is considered a good thing or a bad thing to kind of talk about the intricacies um and that can be a play there that um i'm rather ashamed that such an iconic film kind of takes such a blunt um, um satirical as you said um approach to it um i'm gonna have to rewatch uh on the remakes to see um if if there's any real um, discrepancy there on how they try to portray it obviously it's taken a lot more seriously than the performance in the original but um it's interesting to read what on um, what kind of subtext is there if there's any but um well i think if, if i can cut in real quick i think one yeah. of the one of the one of the differences and, I, and you you tell me if i'm wrong on this i i've read this a long time ago so i could be wrong but this this was i think he wrote Stephen King wrote Carrie while he was working at the at the laundromat, right? And like he based mm-hmm. Carrie off of a woman or Mrs. White off of a woman, you know, at the laundromat. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I'm right on that. Uh, maybe somebody can write in and correct us. But what I'm saying, I use that as an here's here, here's the thing. There's a sense of me that almost I agree. I think this movie could take on a different resonance if it was being a little more serious about its religious trauma. That being said, there's also a sense of me, you know, that is a little happy that it didn't do that. If for no other reason, the fact that both, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but King and De Palma strike me as two people who are, who probably have not experienced religious trauma and instead are just kind of two people that have looked at it and are laughing at the absurdities that sometimes come to religion. Mm. And if you wanted to make a serious movie about, I think I think there there needs to be movies about religious trauma. I think there's probably good ones out there uh, that I can't think of right now. But I, but I do think there's movies that can deal with that. But I almost think it has to be almost a lived in experience, as most movies that deal with trauma have to be. You know, mm. because if not, it does become satirical, does become ridiculous. You know, I mean, not not just a movie like this. I, I think of like a movie like I don't know if you ever seen mommy dearest but like mm. you know mommy dearest is about joan crawford abusing <laughs> abusing her daughter for you know 20 years and no one takes that movie seriously because no one within the context of that movie was looking at it at they looked at it as a movie that was going to be oh wow let's look at how strange joan crawford was and everything and no one looked at that movie as a movie about abuse and it's the same concept here you know, the the onus on this movie is not really about Carrie's abuse, although it probably should be. You know, that's not really what this movie's really attempting to do. Um, and and so, you know, <laughs> I, I think that I agree with you. I think there there's a move. There's a there's a telling of the story that might work better that way. Um, but I, at the same time, I'm a little happy that both King and De Palma decide not to play too much, uh, you know, not to extend themselves too much and play in someone else's yard a little more uh, than they already did. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah. So um, for anybody who is interested in um, 
films that do a really good um, kind of somber um, job um, of handling uh, um, religious abuse or religious um, trauma. Um, it is one that you have to be in in the right mindset for, for sure. Um, it's a rough watch, but um, Spotlight uh, is a really, really good film um, about that, that kind of thing. And while it isn't a horror film, um, it, it definitely handles some, some pretty horrific things um, and themes in there, for sure. But um, uh, this is an example. Of a film yeah, that kind of that's a great takes movie. that in a more serious direction. Um, now um, we are going to talk about um, something for the remainder of the podcast um, tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about something that can be a really huge theme in horror, um, but it's definitely experienced its own its own kind of ebb and flow, its own kind of rise and fall as far as how often it comes up in horror films um, over the years. Um, but that is what I like to call the human element of horror. Um, and what I mean by that is trying to take a step away from any spiritual supernatural otherworldly elements or causes or uh, contexts for scary things within the story right um this can be done um, a lot easier in some films than others um for sure and while um the human element the human source of horror um used to be very popular um, in horror films for a really long time. Um, um, you kind of see it ebb and flow and really start to, to um, decline. Um, I think especially over the last few years with things like, you know, the rise of like the Conjuring films um, um, in the universe they're in. Um, but um, the human element uh, in Carrie is something that I think is important to talk about because we've talked about the abuse that Carrie experiences at home, um, a pretty important component of the movie, of the plot, is the abuse that she experiences at school as well. And this idea that uh, Carrie is kind of living in this own kind of version of her own hell from the really awful, toxic experiences and treatments that she has with the human beings in her life. Um, so, Josh, I want to ask you, um, is this something that you think um, Carrie is able to utilize well, the film? Uh, um, do you think it's able to utilize the human element of horror? Um, and um, I'll have a follow up to that after um, you talk a bit. But, um, yeah, do you think that the film Carrie um utilizes a human element of horror well do you think it's even a thing here am i just talking about a very pretentious way to think about a silly film uh, uh what kind of are your thoughts on it 
Uh, you know, I, I think I think Carrie can definitely there. There's part Carrie. Carrie could have gone off the rails really quickly, and I think what keeps Carrie grounded um, in 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 this humanity um, because it's it's really an inhuman story. We've already discussed how how evil everyone is in this <laughs> in this movie. Um, but what keeps it grounded and what gives it the humanity is Sissy Spacek's uh, job as Carrie. Um, you know, and you know, it, 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 I, when I was reading when I was when I was reading about this this movie uh, before I watched it uh, this this last time, um, I read that one of the things that Sissy Spacek was insistent on was that she be separate from the rest of the cast if she wasn't in the uh, if she wasn't in the scene. Um, and the only time she saw the rest of the cast is so that she was in the scene because she wanted to have this this concept of distance between them. Um, and and she like it's even it's even to the point where you know she wrote a she wrote them all a note saying listen I love all of you but for us for this to be a good movie this is something I have to do um, because if you know anything about Sissy Spacek she's apparently a, a just a wonderful person a dream to work with um, but she really dives into this into this character and she's the you know she's the she's really the only character that's not over the top in the movie which is hilarious considering she's you know. Uh, something like <laughs> you know a telepathic you know mass yeah. murderer by the end of it, but she's the only person that's that's not over the top in the movie. You know everything that happens to her, um, even the first you know the first scene you know where where she gets her period you know for the first time. I mean that you know if you <laughs> you know, if if you know that that scene makes sense within the context of what she's going through. Um, you know as someone who is that sheltered who doesn't know you know, anything, you know, about, about, um, about sexuality at all. Um, you know, all that makes sense. And like, she, she, she performs all that really well. Um, and to be able to inhabit that role, that outsider role so well is, is what grounds the movie. And it's, I think, and I honestly think it's one of the reasons that this movie is considered, you know, um, you know, I think you said, what was it? 86 and empires 500 greatest movies. Yeah, I think the reason really is because of her performance. Because it's you know it's not <laughs> if 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 she just if she if she steps off the tightrope, you know one way or the other, the movie either becomes camp, which it's kind of honestly some which it's which it's struggling not to be, or it goes into just straight up melodrama, which is also struggling not to be as well. <laughs> so in some places. And because she's walking that tightrope so well, you know, you do have a character that you can relate to. And I think one of the reasons the horror elements work so well, Al, is that, you know, so many people can relate to being an outsider. You know, maybe we don't have the the abuse at home or maybe we don't have, you know, the, the, the abuse at school, you know. But, you know, everybody has those moments of just, you know, oh, I guess everyone hates me, you know. And... Sissy Spacek nails that, you know, I mean, when she gets, yeah, I mean, she's the first one to, to, I mean, I mean, she's the first one when she gets asked out for prom, Mm -hmm. you know, she's the first person to realize it's a joke, you know, like that, I think that that's an intelligent thing that either King or De Palma do, like I said, I haven't read the books, I don't know who does it, but I think it's important, you know, for her to be the first one to see that and be like, okay, this has to be a joke of some semblance because it shows that she's not naive to her own situation, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's the saddest part about the movie is that she's well aware of her 
place on the totem pole. She's well aware of her place in the caste system of the school. She knows what she is. She knows she's weird, you know, and she can't. And because of that, she can't, you know, disassociate herself from it. And so that 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 type of that type of performance and the way that that Sissy Spacek inhabits that, I think that is the that is the humanity of the film, and that's why the film it can be considered relatable, you know. And and that's why you know, like here's like I mean, look, if, if you know, not not to get too dark, but I don't. I'm telling you right now, there is not a single person, okay, who has watched this film seen her get doused with the pig blood after all that and been like, you know what, Carrie, just forgive them all. You know, there's, 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 there's not a single person that's ever reacted that way. You know, you might feel bad for Tommy. You know, I, actually, I really feel bad for Tommy. You might feel bad for a couple of Tommy's friends. You might feel bad for the, for the, for the, um, you know, the teacher that gets killed uh, with the, uh, the one that was trying to help her out. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, by that point, you're like, yeah, you know, fry the principal. He'll remember your name now. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, you, 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 you end up f- walking into that. Um, and that's and that's really the power of Sissy Spacek's performance, because if she wasn't able to draw you in, you wouldn't feel that way. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think that's where the humanity comes from. Al. I think that's what holds it together more so than any type of uh, direction uh, from De Palma or anything from Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I'm glad you brought up the scene uh, where Tommy goes um, and first asks her, <laughs> I'm going to go to prom. Um, and then the scene immediately afterwards where he goes to uh, her house um, and then uh, asks her out to prom again. Um, because those scenes establish um, the really important idea, as you say, that... Um, um that Carrie knows right <laughs> like Carrie knows that this isn't how her life goes it's just not um and she's immediately very skeptical of it you know she immediately calls him out on it and is really incredulous especially the um the actually really really great shot scene uh where he's outside of her house and is talking to her and she really has herself kind of squished between the two doors because she's trying to stop her mom from seeing that she's talking to a boy um, and things like that. And just the um, the skepticism that she's able to convey with her eyes in that scene as she talks to him and just says, you know, why are you doing this? Like that, um, that skepticism that you know anyone would want to spend time with her and and t- t- take her to prom and share that experience with her. And I think what also helps to really lock in that um, that audience engagement with what's going on with Carrie is that you see over the next few scenes that that skepticism starts to erode and it starts to kind of um, get chipped away at. And you see her start to get a lot more excited about it. You see her, you know, she's, um, she's, she's sewing up and getting her dress ready and she's got her hair going and, 
as she's <laughs> taking up for herself a lot more because this whole thing has given her a lot more confidence. And you see that skepticism start to erode. Only, of course, to have that awful drop and come crashing back down to Earth with the prom scene. And that sequence of events, I think, is so inherently relatable to people. That idea where you're very skepticism, um, you're very skeptical of, of something going right, of experiencing, you know, inclusion and kindness from people you don't usually expect it from. And then that gradual erosion of that skepticism and trying to be more optimistic and being more excited and then to um, have something happen and have all that stripped and taken away. Um, that's a very human experience. That's a very um, almost universal um, kind of series of feelings that uh, people have at some point in time, um, especially in high school where everybody's just going through puberty and experiencing all kinds of um, insane <laughs> stuff anyway um so um, you have that inherently human interaction and that human journey um that carrie goes through where you you would feel feel sympathy for her um you know even even away from the fact that she can control things with her mind which by the time you get to the end of the movie that's that's a plot point that's almost kind of skipped over and forgotten about until she uses it at prom. Um, but um, no, I think those are um, excellent answers um, and excellent points. Um, carrying over from that, um, just real quick, I'm intrigued by what you think. Um, a lot of people have said that the human element of horror is kind of um, um, gradually being lost in a lot of horror films over the last few years. You see a lot more um, emphasis on on supernatural and spiritual horror where the antagonism and the fear is coming from, you know, another worldly thing. Um I want to know, is that an opinion that you um, agree with or disagree with? You know, um, if you do, then then why um, do you think the human element is going away? Um, and if not, then um, then how do you see it as um, as being a persistent thing um, in horror? Um, so yeah, what do you think? I uh, I actually I don't know if I could disagree more with the statement that the human elements going away. In fact, I think the reason the horror movies that are successful today, the ones that are the most successful, um, almost require a human element to them, um, so that so that you have something to hold on to within the movie. So I mean, you, I mean, you just take like the two, the two Jordan Pill movies, you know, Get Out and uh, and Us, you know. Mm -hmm those both those movies hinge on the human element they hinge on the idea of not not only not only dealing with a fear that uh anyone could under, understand without getting into too much spoiled territory both of them really deal with this concept of 
okay, someone's invading me. Someone's invading my space. Someone's invading who I am, which is a concept that I think anyone can be scared of. But they, but they also all feature protagonists that you are actively rooting for. Um, and this is this this is before we even get to the social elements of them, which is another thing that horror movies are doing way more of now. Um, mm. You know, I know we we have me and you have both have mixed feelings on Ari Aster, um, but Ari Aster is that it's all human element. The whole point mm. of those movies is human element within these uh weird situations you know where there's where you've accidentally you're you're accidentally giving your son to a coven of witches or you've somehow stumbled into a white supremacist cult you know both of those situations are ridiculous situations but they work because of the human element that's within them um where ariaster instead of focusing on those things Within, you know, uh, you know, he focuses on either the family, uh, the family as, <laughs> you know, broken <laughs> or what to do with a broken family or on grief, you know, which is what Midsummer's really focusing on. Um, he, he explores that more as much as if not more so than the horror elements of his movies um, and those and those movies do gangbusters, man. And like, and so like, I mean, I think, you know, to say that I, I understand that, you know, I understand that there are, there are horror movies out there that, you know, have nothing to do with humanity, have nothing to do with human element where you just watch, you know, someone get mauled to death, you know, I mean, that's, that's the, you know, and, and I mean, I think kind of like Saul kind of, kind of dealt that and kind of that kind of torture porn stuff that was really big, uh, you know, in the mid 2000s and things like that kind of led to some of that criticism. Um, but if you're saying that about horror movies today, uh, you're just, you're either A, aren't watching horror movies, or B, uh, don't really know how to interpret the horror movies, because that's not really the case with horror movies today. I mean, I mean, you, you might you might disagree, I mean, I, but I, I can't, like, yeah, I, I mean, I think of the most popular horror movies, they're all, they very much want to deal with either societal strains or just the question of humanity in general. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think where a lot of kind of the disagreement um, possibly comes from is that it's not that the human element isn't there anymore. Um, I think it's that the scope has changed a bit in some ways because it used to be you know you have very early horror films um right you have um Texas chainsaw you have psycho you have even the exorcist in some ways um it focuses very much on you know how much of the horror is coming from the fact that um, a human being is doing these things to other human beings. Um, an exorcist is kind of a point where you see a lot more of the spiritual and the supernatural come in and kind of change that, but it still brings up the human element because you care about the victims of what's happening and 
I think in recent years, how people need to understand um, the human element in horror, I think that has changed, um, if anything, because I think the human element is still there. I think it's changed in that it's not always as direct as, you know, this human being is doing something awful to this human being and it asks, you know, the super insightful question of, of you know, art um, is, is mankind truly the greatest monster of all? Um, I think there's, I think there's some of that still there, but it's changed in that it forces you to think of characters in both the context of the story that they're experiencing, um, but also um, how how they fit into the real stories of today as well, and how they can be understood in in the context of what's happening um, to us today and to other people in the world today. And so you have this um, experience where where the human element um, stops being so much about, you know, where is the horror coming from? And it's been changed to, you know, what does the horror mean for the audience and for the characters in the story? Um, I think that's where a lot of that kind of change in tension um, are coming from whenever I see articles like that. Uh, that say, you know, the human element is is going away and now it's all about, you know, um, the boogeyman and the bad parts of this or the bad parts of that. I think instead we're just being asked to think about uh, the humanity and characters in um, a different way than we have before in some ways. But, um, um, yeah, um, again, I got a little bit heady, uh, on which we do on occasion here. I'm in Horror Fest, so, so it's, all, it's all good. Um, now, the very last thing I want to ask is, as we wrap this up, um, our second to last film uh, we're talking about in Horror Fest. Um, as we're wrapping this up, I want to ask you, um, because... A lot of the times in horror, not all the time, but a lot of the times you get the feeling that what happens in in these films we watch and what happens to different characters, um, you get the feeling that it's trying to tell you something, right? It's trying to, to teach you something. It's trying to impact you in a certain way. It's trying to get some kind of a message through that you know, hey, you can learn this from what happened to all of these victims, or you can um, have this as a takeaway because, you know, all of these horrific things happened. Um, and so I want to ask you, Josh, because on the surface, it seems like the oral of the story of Carrie um, is very easy um, and very simple. So um, I want to ask you, Josh, what do you think the lesson is 
that um, is being taught um, in carry? What do you think sh should be the t takeaway that people have coming out of it? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, base, the basic lesson, uh, I mean, the most basic lesson is, of course, you know, just a very simple one of, you know, you know, be nice to everybody, be kind to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, because you never know what people are going through. That's that's the most basic lesson, you know. And I mean, that's that's definitely, uh, you know. I mean, that that's, you know. I, I I will say this here. My main criticism of this film is that this movie almost requires, um, in order for it to be considered a more serious film, requires a little bit more time with Sue, uh, and a little bit more time. That's Amy Irving's character. Mm -hmm. uh, a right. little more time with her um, because she has her own arc in this movie. Right. Um, and we don't really, you know, we don't really, you know, I mean, like, I guess we're just supposed to, to take that the, the PE teacher really got to her. But like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, like, I mean, that I guess that's what we're supposed to think. But, but you know, and, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I get I get why they did it. Um, and, and maybe that would have muddled the movie a bit, but you know, her, her arc, you know, is, is important because she's the one that sets in motion unknowingly a lot of stuff that happens by her trying to be kind. Um, but I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> there's a lot to hear that's just under the surface about, um, institution uh, uh really about uh educa about the education system and and the institution of education that we have and sometimes it's failures um because this is one of those movies where in within the first five minutes of the movie within the first five minutes of the movie every authority figure has told you that two things one that they realize carrie is disturbed and two, they realize where the disturbance is coming from, and mm. none of them do anything. Mm. I mean, th I mean, from the very beginning, you know, they know these things. All right, um, you know, they might not not know the extent of the of the abuse, you know, uh, or anything like that, but they do know something is is making her the way she is. You know, um, someone at age seventeen. You know, a, a, a girl at age 17, not understanding how their body works, um, is a failure somewhere. Okay. And, you know, it, it's in that type of situation, uh, I think is it, 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 it's, it's under the radar, but it's there, you know, it, it's definitely there. Um, and I mean, and, and it's almost like on the nose, you know, um, there's I've heard a lot, you know, a lot of people have made fun of this movie with, for the fact that somehow John Travolta and uh, John Travolta's crazy girlfriend have have hung this bucket of pig's blood in the rafters without anybody knowing that they're able to pull that off. And I'm almost at the point where I'm like, that's not really a bug. That's a feature, you know, because <laughs> it, it's one of those it's one of those concepts where it's like. That's how out of touch this school is with the things that are going on. Um, that they are that far removed 
from the people, uh, from from the kids at their own school, that you can have such, you know, harsh um, treatment of one of your own students and not even notice it. So I think, you know, like, yeah, I think, like I said, the, the, the surface, the surface moral, it's pretty easy to see, you know, be kind to people. You don't know what they're going through. Um, and even if you don't want to be kind to people because you don't know what they're going through, you never know who has telepathic abilities that can wipe you off the face of the earth. Um, so that surface moral is right there. Sure. But underneath that moral, I think there is kind of this critique of of, of our institutions. Um, you have the institution of the church. We've already talked about that uh, being critiqued. Uh, you know, maybe not uh, with any type of <laughs> with any type of subtlety, um, but still a pretty harsh critique of that. But you've also got the critique, I think, of the school. And this idea of like, you know, it's not just, you know, it it it, it shouldn't have been Sue's Sue's role to be the one to step up here and try to make the change in Carrie's life. That's really not what her role should have been. You know, there are people, there are institutional people within the school that should have looked out for. So, you know, that that those are those are the, the those are the themes and morals I see in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I got you. No, no. I think you're right on. Um, it's interesting you bring up Sue and on um, the role she plays. In in the original book, Sue plays a much larger role um, in what happens. She has a much more significant role um, in the story, which I think kind of helps facilitate um, a lot of things um, in the book um, in a much better way than they are in in the original film. Um, um, I I enjoy Carrie. Uh, I think the influence that Carrie has had um, on horror over the years is undeniable, for sure. Um, I do have a central problem with Carrie, and it comes through in what the the Morality is that is supposedly um, is being taught in the film. Um, and I'm realizing now, Josh, it's actually a shame that you haven't seen the film I'm about to compare it to because it's going to come off as somewhat of a weird comparison. And I really wish I could hear um, your thoughts about it. But um, you have not watched it yet. If we get a few more patrons on Patreon, um, you will watch it. Um, as a as a heads up to some people, but um, I almost compare um, the lessons being taught in Carrie to a lot of the lessons that are being taught in the Joker uh, from 2019, um, because you get this idea, um, as you say, on the surface, it seems to be that um, the lesson being taught is you should be kind to people. You should not victimize people, even if they're um, odd or an easy target or whatever it might be. You should be kind to people. And if it if it left it at that, you know, it's okay. That's like, I don't know how, how interesting of a film it would be, but that's like a pretty solid thing to take away from a story is that you should be kind to those who are easy targets who are easily victimized and things like that. Um, 
But by the end of the movie, of course, you see that the addendum to the lesson being taught is, hey, you should be kind to everybody because you never know they could kill you. Um, <laughs> and and that's even and that's really even reinforced by some of the advertising done about the film when it first came out because you have posters um coming up for the theatrical release of carrie in 1976 and one of the most common taglines is if only they knew she had the powers mm-hmm. and and so to take the surface of what is being taught by the narrative, um, that's very much saying, hey, you should be nice to everybody because, hey, man, you never know. Like, And it kind of it takes the teeth out of the lesson that's being taught, right? It kind of, it kind of removes the altruism from the idea that you should be kind to people. Um, because it it adds in a sense of security for yourself, um, and I think a similar thing happens with the Joker. I don't want to get into a to a bunch of spoilers about the Joker um, or anything like that and go completely off the rails. But when I watched the Joker, I walked out of the theater with the understanding that the that what that movie was trying to tell me was, hey, you should have compassion for people who struggle with. Um, mental illness because if you don't they're really dangerous and they could kill you that's that that was the morality that i came away with and it's hard to not come away from carrie with the same kind of thing it almost feel like the the morality that it seeks to teach is undermined by how it tries to teach it in the first place um, and so that's always been kind of an area of frustration for me, especially for me, um, because, you know, I'm a weird kid. I've been, <laughs> you know, I've been picked on in the past um, and things like that. Um, of course, I had the vacation in comparison of being picked on by other boys, whereas like. Gosh, being picked on by girls is just a whole other experience that I can't even I can't even imagine the experience of being a girl who's bullied by other girls in high school because that is just a horrible age for girls for some reason. Um, but um, but um, so that's always been kind of a point. Um, a frustration with me. I think anything it tries to teach you in that regard falls kind of flat just because of of what the film turns out to be. Um, But um, um, yeah, so so it isn't always easy um, to um, extract things like that um, without thinking about it too hard. But um, Y'all, that's Carrie. Uh, Carrie, it's a weird one. It's a weird one for sure. Um, but as I said, this year, I, um, I wanted Horror Fest to be about um, the influential stuff and the influence that Carrie has had both in and of itself 
and also just from the fact that it's the first work and first adaptation of the work uh, by Stephen King um, just speaks volumes for where it um, stands and kind of the annals um, of horror history for sure. Um, so everybody, we are not done with Horror Fest quite yet. Um, that is the end of our um, fandom correspondent chosen films to talk about for Horror Fest 2021. But we got one more coming up, everybody. And um, that is uh, what started out as the fan choice. Um, now we are adapting into a new special feature of Horror Fest every year. Um, we are from now on calling one episode every year for a fest of the podcast uh we're calling it um the Ethan Hogeiger um tribute episode um <laughs> because our boy um is always on Patreon always um uh, requesting things always participating in polls and feedback so um and we love when everyone does that but um, our very good friend, Ethan, um, is just um, always so on it um, and always so consistent in it. So we wanted to devote um, a special episode just to him. And that episode is going to be, I believe it's official now, uh, that episode is going to be an American Werewolf in London. Um, which I don't know about you, Josh, but I'm actually really excited to talk to you about American Werewolf in London. <laughs> It's been, it's it's probably been ten to fifteen years, if not longer, since I've seen that movie. Um, so I will I will be very intrigued to see uh, to to mine the depths of that movie with you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's gonna be it is going to be a blast, everybody. Um, as far as I know, this is the first time we've announced um, the name of the next film that we're gonna do. If everybody wants to watch it. Um, in accordance with us, um, I believe that's on Amazon Prime right now, so you can watch it on, um, on Amazon Prime. Um, and I'm gonna really take a participatory role in this year's uh, Ho Geiger tribute <laughs> Horror Fest 2021 episode, but um, that'll be a blast. Um, as always, y'all, we really appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Um, and listening to us rant about various things we obsess over um, in horror films. Um, if you enjoy it um, and want to support us, have the means available right now um, to do that, then you can hop on our Patreon. Um, our first tier is only a dollar. Um, if you throw us a dollar every month, you too can participate in polls and discussions and feedback. Um, you can have your own episode um, um, with your own name um, as a tribute to you and your support. Why not? Let's start doing that. But, um, but um, even if you can't support us, we do just enjoy you hanging out with us, um, listening and watching all of our stuff and interacting with us um, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter um, and all that good stuff. But um, thank you very much. We have one more stop in Horror Fest 2021. Um, or fandom talk this year. Um, so please join us for that. And as always, fandom is for everyone. Um, 
except perhaps probably John Travolta's character in Carrie. Um, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure there's enough room for him. Um, I'm in fandom, but as long as you aren't as as over the top awful as he is, um, fandom is for everyone, and there's always a place with um, the fandom correspondence for you to come and enjoy the things you enjoy. So thank you very much, and please stay safe.